The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, who said legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in a Senate hearing with Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squaring off with Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien has been quite critical of Senator Mullen online, tweeting, for example, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made, just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Well, that cowboy is a former MMA fighter, and as I understand it, he was undefeated in the octagon. He wasn't professional, but he could still bring the pain. Butterbean might have the girth, but I think he lacks both the intelligence and the decorum. Cooler head Bernie Sanders, chairman of the subcommittee, had to intervene as Mark Wayne stood up and started taking off his watch. Although it wasn't reminiscent of quite of the caning of abolitionist Republican Charles Sumner of Massachusetts by pro-slavery Democrat Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, it was nice to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little spunk. Now, Mark Wayne, if you could only approach election integrity the same way that you approach Butterbean, America would be a much better place. I think that's what we need from the Republicans, not fisticuffs, but a little moxie, a little, hey, I'm walking here, attitude. The Republicans run the House, and they need to start acting like it. Mark Wayne in the Senate is showing them how it's done. I did like new speaker uh, Mike today. He did LSU Law School proud when CNN tried to get him on the separation of church and state. And while, you know, the, the young guy on CNN said, while it's important to have faith, it's important not to keep it out of the corporations, to keep it out of the public square. And the speaker instantly body slammed him and saying, no, that's not the purpose of the First Amendment at all. And the separation of church and state is a misnomer, completely misunderstood. It came from a private letter written by Thomas Jefferson after he was president. Indeed, Washington said that faith and morals are pillars that are necessary to support the foundation of government. And John Adams went one further, saying, our Constitution is designed for a religious and moral people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. So the speaker's pushing back. I like this because here's the way it almost always plays out. The left lies, the Republicans react to the lie by accepting the premise of the lie, and they lose the argument. It happened in Ohio with issue one last week. Republicans allowed the Democrats to set the terms of the debate. This is why I constantly push back. This is why I say things like, no, the Republican color isn't red, it's blue, which historically is correct, because this is what the Democrats do. Tim Russert on NBC flips the colors on election night. 2020, 
23 years ago. And just because Republican starts with red and R starts with red, all of a sudden everybody's talking about, you know, Republican red and there's a wet rave. And no, if you look at every other constitutional democracy in the former British Commonwealth, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the party colors are conservative party is blue, labor is red. But Tim Russert flipped the script because he didn't want the Democrats to be associated with communism. Why might that be? Because they're commiecrats. The Democrat Party today is literally run by communists. But we can't call them communists. We can't say better dead than red anymore. Because now people think the Republican color is red. And what did the Republicans do? Did they push back? And they said, no, our color's not red. Our color's blue. No, they acceded. They went along with it. And here we are. Now we've got an entire two generations of people really believing that the Republican color is red. It might seem like a little thing, but it's not. I'm using this as a teachable moment. The Republicans have got to stop accepting the language of the left, accepting the premises of the left, and allowing the left to determine the terrain on which we fight. Because every single time you do, you'll lose before the fight even happens. So I applaud Mark Wayne Mullen for showing a little spine today. Let's channel it in a positive direction for America. I'm Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning. The inaugural conference of Australians for Science and Freedom brings together thinkers and community leaders to share learnings, formulate plans, and help establish new and emerging networks and organizations to restore a thriving Australian society founded on science and freedom. Join the exciting lineup of health professionals, scientists, economists, lawyers, journalists, and community leaders to discuss a range of hot issues, including healthcare policy, democracy and human rights, education, the media, and the role of grassroots organizations. The Australians for Science and Freedom Conference will be held at the University of New South Wales, High Street, Kensington, New South Wales, from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, 18th November, and 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sunday the 19th. Plus, TNT Radio will be broadcasting from the conference. Tickets available now at scienceandfreedom.org. In-depth and under discussion. The government works for us, not the other way around. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court announced that it has adopted a new ethics code, giving more details about what could disqualify a justice from participating in a case. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. Um, this is one of those, no, duh, uh, these are rules that have theoretically been in place, but now it's official. It's been cemented. Uh, the ethics code uh, covers a range of policy issues containing sections, um, canons actually, codifying that justices should not let outside relationships influence their official conduct or judgment, spelling out restrictions on their participation in fundraising and reiterating limits on the accepting of gifts. It also states that justices should not, quote, to any substantial degree, end quote, use judicial resources or staff for non-official activities. Like I said, no duh. Uh, in fact, the code of conduct itself admits that, it says, quote, for the most part, these rules and principles are not new. The court has long had the equivalent of common law ethics rules. 
The absence of a code, however, has led in recent years to the misunderstanding that the justices of this court, unlike all other jurists in this country, regard themselves as unrestricted by any ethics rules. Uh, the document explained, was that a little jab at somebody? Uh, quote, to dispel this misunderstanding, we are issuing this code, which largely represents a codification of principles that we have long regarded as governing our conduct, end quote. So thusly, a series of canon were established to govern the justices, starting with, quote, quoting here, canon one, a justice should uphold the integrity and independence of the judiciary, end quote. For canon two, quote, a justice should avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all activities, end quote. Um, the code explained a series of actions that would be deemed unacceptable having a, quote, respect for the law, end quote, avoiding any, quote, unquote, outside influence and not holding a membership in any organization that, quote, practices invidious discrimination on the basis of race, sex, religion, or national origin were listed. Uh, Canon 3 outlined the duties of office and what disqualifies a justice, while Canon 4 discussed, quote, extra extrajudicial activities that are consistent with the obligations of the judicial office, end quote. This included law-related activities such as speaking, writing, and teaching. Furthermore, the, co the code of conduct allowed fundraising by a justice if it assists any, quote, nonprofit, law-related, civic, charitable, educational, religious, or social organizations, end quote. A justice may also be listed as a, quote, officer, director, or trustee, end quote, for such organizations. Additionally, a justice, quote, may accept reasonable compensation and reimbursement of expenses for permitted activities, end quote. The document reaffirmed that the justices are to comply with financial disclosures statutes. Recently, Justice Samuel Alito faced questions surrounding ethics over a series of trips, while Justice Sonia Sotomayor um, was under the spotlight after reports revealed her staff had prodded public institutions to purchase her books. Interesting. The justice reportedly earned at least $3.7 million from book sales since she joined the Supreme Court. Uh, and lastly, Justice Clarence Thomas was accused of accepting luxury trips from a Republican donor for several years without reporting them in his annual disclosures. So, Timothy, here's hoping with this new official code of ethics, this should... Uh, put to bed any fears about uh, these types of things moving forward. What do you think? I love this because now there are clear, defined, bright line rules. And the justices were careful to make sure that all of their lawful activities are included within the rules. They're permissible now. And if anybody makes any spurious claims that they're not permitted, they can say, no, see, here's the rules. It's permitted. This reminds me of the Catholic Church, one of the big Protestant complaints about the Catholic Church is that it has, quote, made up theology along the way. And that's not what happened at all. You never make an official statement until a heresy arrives. If everybody agrees on something, there's no need for an official pronouncement of what everyone agrees. And if a heresy arises, the church would gather together and 
evaluate what the heresy was, what the assertion was by the person, and whether it was heretical or whether it was within the canon of uh, Scripture. And if it was, not a problem. If it wasn't, it was deemed heresy, and the church would say so. So no, the church didn't make things up as it went along. It just doesn't have to address issues until they arise, and so too with the Supreme Court. It's not that the Supreme Court was never ethical or bound by ethical rules. Of course they were. There's the judicial conduct uh, statutes and, and the holding your bar license. There are requirements for ethical conduct. It's just that the Supreme Court never had to address the issues because people weren't stupid enough to try to play politics with the court and get justices to recuse themselves from cases in which the left had an interest in winning. See, that's what this is about. This is all about politics, Adam. The left was trying to get Justices Alito and Thomas to recuse themselves from certain cases. And then somebody on the right said, but Sotomayor. And so the justices did the wise thing, the prudent thing, dare I say the Solomonic thing, and they laid down what the law is. Not literally the law, but they laid down what the rules are. Right? Okay, here's the bright line rules, and we're clearly within the rules. So, sod off. Have a nice day. Well, I mean, certainly a step in the right direction. Um, but, you know, now we're going to have to deal with the uh, what happens when people break the rules, right? Uh, because sometimes uh, we've seen how yeah, that but it's plays the same, out. It's the same thing they would before, right? Abe Fortas was impeached and removed by op office. Congress still has the impeachment power, always has. Nothing has changed today except hopefully these phony baloney allegations from the left will go away from now on. I see what you mean. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it's good. It's always good to know what the rules are, right? Right. And, and let me just say, realpolitik, the left is still going to make phony baloney allegations. What this does is this just gives the Supreme Court a tool with which to say, no, there's nothing wrong here. See, it abides by the rules. Yep. That will avoid a lot of tit for tat uh, and uh, rumors uh, and whatnot. This is kind of, it's also not, you know, it's totally acceptable for them to just recuse themselves. And they often do, right? For Yeah, if, if know, there's a legitimate. Themselves. Yeah, Elena Kagan did on a case in which she was representing uh, one of the parties uh, back in her previous uh, position. It, it's normal for judges to do that. It's the ethical thing to do to recuse. It, you know, sometimes people was oh, he had to recuse as though there's something nefarious going on. It's like, no, that's the ethical requirement. If you have even a, a tangential involvement in a case, you are bound, duty bound to recuse. And so, you know, nothing should be should be made of that. I think this will make things a lot clearer and a lot more simpler, a lot more simple as we go forward. Agreed. Now, if only the lawmakers would recuse themselves over their investments in big pharma and whatnot. Don't even get me started. That's an entire show you and I could do. We, I know, I know that you agree with me that we need to have uh, individual stock ownership outlawed by representatives and senators. It's just, it's obscene how these people go to Washington and walk away rich. Yes, sir. A story for another day, then. Indeed. Thanks for a great one, Adam. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio.
You should hear what Patrick Henningsen's talking about. So all the Israelis are really escalating air attacks and bombing attacks uh, to a degree that we haven't even seen before. Why this escalation? Why is it happening right now? This is a big problem. And this has been going on now for four weeks, ladies and gentlemen. And still no calls for a ceasefire, no definitive or categorical calls anyway from the U.S. leadership, from those who, from the onset, let's face it, they were backing this military action by Israel uh, on the Gaza Strip. And everybody thought, well, how bad could it be? How long could it go? Here we are month later. We're still here. We're still talking to you. We're still reporting this. And another hospital was uh, hit last night as well. Well over 30 medical facilities and hospitals have been uh, hit and uh, taken out of action. In some cases, pulverized by the Israeli occupation forces or the IDF as it's uh, widely known. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's news. The sharing of biased and false, false news has become all too common on, on social, social media. Without checking facts first. Unfortunately, this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Free speech has a home on TNT Radio. Drew Allen has been called the Millennial Minister of Truth. Each week on his popular podcast, The Drew Allen Show, he makes new converts to the cause of liberty, freedom, and conservatism with his unique blend of humor, brilliance, and expert analysis of the most important events in America. In addition to running PR campaigns for some of the most recognizable names in politics, Drew is a widely publicized columnist and in-demand political analysis on radio and TV. His new book, America's Last Stand, Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024, has been billed as America's red pill. The book chronicles the failures and lies of the Biden administration, unleashes a devastating account of the Democratic Party's unforgivable history, and warns Americans of their plans to eradicate our freedoms and destroy American prosperity and security in the future. He also sets the record straight on the countless lies that have been spread about former President Trump. America's Last Stand is the definitive voting guide for the 2024 presidential election, the most important book right now in America. Every American should read it before casting his or her vote. Welcome to The Reckoning, Drew Allen. Hey, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I I say this Oftentimes, but you know, I live here in the communist state of California. So whenever I get an opportunity to come on and talk to somebody who's level-headed and got their head screwed on straight, I love it. Well, I appreciate that. You know, and I'm here deep behind enemy lines in upstate New York. I I love the city. I used to want to retire there, Drew, but what they've done to my city in the last 10 years is just abominable. And I don't know that I'll ever go back. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it's not really getting better. And things in general for this country are are not getting better. They've been trending in this direction for a long time. I think that Trump's election in 2016 kind of slowed a lot of that leftward lurch that was happening. And obviously, since 2020, it's accelerated. And some of it's our fault. You know, I'm not I'm not a victim. Uh, I'm a guy who wants to get things accomplished, uh, who's kind of forward thinking and motivated in my energy. 
And while, you know, I personally, you know, don't bear the blame for everything that's wrong in the country, the issue is that we have kind of sat back uh, like fat cats, which we are. I mean, we, I'm 36. I call myself a geriatric millennial and no human being in the history of mankind has had it as good as, as us right here in America. And in my book, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm not too hard on people. I'm a little bit, you know, sympathetic and empathetic. I say that this moment was inevitable because periods of prosperity, of security, like we've had in this country, they soften you. And while we're asleep at the wheel, uh, the tyrant is most active. And that's what's happened right now. We're, we've kind of been over overrun. We have, and that's the old saying, right? Hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make soft men, soft men bring hard times. And I think, unfortunately, we're in the fourth quarter of that cycle here. And, you know, we're waiting. I guess the next, the, the hard times to come are going to make some strong men again. It was interesting to see the U.S. Army has changed its advertising campaign from literally a cartoon of a young girl with two lesbian mothers to a video of young men in a helicopter about to parachute out of it and go to war. Uh, they're starting to take a more aggressive posture. I think that there's a feeling in this country that woke has gone too far. The pendulum has swung too far. There are too many soy boys that want safe spaces and, and crayons and cocoa. And that it's it's time for for men and women who love this country to stand up and be counted. Exactly. And that's kind of what I'm calling people to do. I call us the Patriots of 24. And that's an ode to Lincoln, who 20 mm -hmm. years before the Civil War and even after, you know, he spoke of the Patriots of 76. He looked back for strength on the memories of George Washington and the founding fathers. And that's what we're called to do. I mean, look, I I'm very serious. I mean, my, my message is one of encouragement. For one, I say, you know what? Thank God, literally, that I'm alive right now. We're living through history, a very important moment in America's history, and it's our it's our responsibility. We get to do something here that's special and that is our duty. And this is really the third major test, I would argue, in our nation's history. S serious test. I would say we had 1776 with the American Revolution. We had the Civil War, 1861. And this is just as serious, except the difference is we are trying to resolve this peacefully through elections. And the Democrats, of course, are taking the unprecedented step of stepping in it. Now, this is the third time they've interfered in elections, actually, but no president in U.S. history prior to Trump had ever been indicted for any crime committed. And of course, Donald Trump has not actually committed any crimes, and he's been indicted four times for invented charges or things that Democrats have done themselves. And even, um, you know, you go back to Bill Clinton, he did commit a crime, a federal crime. He perjured himself in front of a grand mm -hmm. jury. That's right. But they dropped the charges. They fined him, I think, $20,000 and, you know, gave him a slap on the wrist. But no nothing happened. And even if you go back to the Civil War, when we actually had true treason, right? I mean, uh, General Robert E. Lee did commit treason. He led the Confederacy <laughs> in an armed rebellion, okay? So that's, yeah. that's the definition of treason. Well, a grand jury indicted him, but they had the charges dropped. So even during the Civil War, when you had actual treason and you had 700,000 some odd Americans 
just had their blood shed in this nation for that war, during that war, uh, we still forgave. They still forgave. We forgave. The Republicans forgave uh, the, the Confederates. And here they ha- you have the Democrats now wanting to put Trump in jail. Well, in the same week, a couple of weeks ago, we had pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist people literally taking over the United States Capitol, occupying offices, the whole nine yards. Not a single person was arrested. And on the same day, we had FBI agents in full battle rattle, camo, the helmets, the automatic weapons, the whole nine yards, going door to door in a New Jersey neighborhood looking for a January 6th protester. The double standard is what's killing people, Drew. It is. And I would also argue that what we're experiencing today is actually a thousand times worse than the experience actually of the American colonists. The type of tyranny we're witnessing today is beyond what they expect. I would I would uh, challenge anyone to go and open up, dust off the Declaration of Independence and read the 27, I think it is, enumerated grievances and right. tell me which one of those isn't true today. And I'd say, see how many you can add to this. Um, it's outrageous. And Americans have to do a couple things. We have to acknowledge how serious the threat is. We have to be honest with ourselves about how bad it is. And then we have to get working. And what we have to do is go out and talk to our fellow citizens. I talk to people all the time, and a lot of them don't want to talk about politics. It's just too uncomfortable. It is. And we're going to talk about how to get through them after the news. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. Big news. Yeah! For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The National Guard will be assisting local police today as tens of thousands of people are expected to attend two large-scale demonstrations in the nation's capital. The first rally, the March for Israel, is being organized by the Jewish Federations of North America. An Australian theater star and vaccination advocate is suing pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca, claiming a life-threatening stroke left her unable to work after taking the company's vaccine. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Let me just crystallize that point you made about the grievances that existed in the 17th 1770s that were enumerated in the Declaration of Independence, they threw the tea in the harbor because there was a 3% tax levied. Look at our tax burden today. 3% would be a gift from heaven. The Democrats would scream bloody murder 3%. You can't, we can't afford a tax cut like that as if it's their money. And where is the outrage? And, and how do we get through to people? They don't like to talk about politics. So how do we get through to them? Persistence for one. Obviously, we have to find a way into it. I mean, I think, you know, you don't have to be religious. I happen to be a Christian and I've grown up in the church. And so I'm familiar in some ways with outreach, right? Trying to get through to people in terms of uh, faith, you know, my faith. Um, and so I have an advantage there. 
And, and I, you know, I also, I actually grew up in liberal industries. So I went to an all male college preparatory school in Dallas, which was a Jesuit school, very left wing. I was a theater major in college, left wing, lived in New York city as an actor, left wing, worked for Mark Jacobs in fashion in New York. And then Milan, Italy, left wing. I worked in Hollywood, left wing, and now I'm doing this, but you know, I've, I've always been confronted and I've always had to formulate coherent arguments. And a lot of people don't, aren't in those positions. So they have the right opinion, they have the right feeling, but maybe they lack the knowledge because they haven't been tested. And so, you know, that's why I wrote the book too, is to give people conviction, to, to make things easy to understand in, in, in what's going on, how to communicate, what's happened in this country, which it's easy to forget about because it, something new happens every day that somehow is worse than the the previous thing the Democrat Party and Biden administration have done. And also to reach out to people who are open-minded, who need to see the truth, who, you know, tune into CNN and have a separate facts, right, which aren't facts at all, and, and we're not on the same page. And so that's what, that's what we have to do. Um, you know, our tone has to change depending on who we're talking to. Um, we need to be outraged at what's happening in this country. And we need to channel that into something constructive that's going to convince other Americans to come uh, and join our movement. Because, you're, you know, it's so funny, you bring up the, the Tea Party. And I, I think that the Tea Party to the colonists back then is what J6 was, honestly, to us. Now, obviously, J6, there were other issues because uh, Democrats wanted that to take place. But my point oh, is, Fed George Wash absolutely. It was Fedsurrection. But, you know, the Tea Party, it's funny because George Washington, uh, Benjamin Franklin, many of the people that obviously uh, were signers of the Declaration, even they condemned the Tea Party because they believed in property rights. And so right. they actually thought it was very thuggish and they disapproved of it. And then, of course, in a year and a half, they turn around and they're leading the revolution. And so I think the J6 thing was similar for us because... You know, obviously, apart from some of the things with the, the the media, a lot of people on our side immediately condemned it. They condemned it. It was just so horrendous what happened. Couldn't believe it. You know, how dare you go over a barrier or walk through the open doors of the Capitol? This is an insurrection. Well, where do we find ourselves a year and a half later? You know, I bet a lot of the people who, who were condemning J6 because it was the, you know, what you were supposed to do, according to the media, to be accepted in society. Well, now they've changed their tune like George Washington. And uh, and they, they probably realize, you know, actually, the sentiment that was expressed there, we all feel times a thousand now. Um, and so, you know, we need we need to not be afraid of confrontation and we need to stand for our principles. I mean, look what the Democrat Party's done. Look what Biden has done as a horrendous human being. And by the way, I'm not old enough to remember this, but I talked to people who were alive during Joe Biden's, you know, uh, illustrious years when he could right. speak coherently. And he's always been a thug. He's always been an idiot. And uh, and so this is what they have to offer. And our side sits here and bends the knee every time when Democrats want to attack Trump. Why is it so hard for us to just say, actually, no, I love Trump. I liked his policies. Were you better off? You know, we we always get defensive and we need to get rid of that. That was my opening tonight. I, I applaud Senator Mark Wayne Mullen for showing a little spine today against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. And, you know, they weren't going to fight, but Mark Wayne's like, this is a place, this is a time you want to call me out? Let's go. And he stood up and started taking off his watch. Now, Bernie Sanders intervened and, you know, Mark was up on the dais and Butterbean was down at the table. There wasn't going to be a fight. But it was nice to see a Republican show a little spunk for a change. 
One of the things, and Drew, that I, I beat this like a dead horse, and people are tired of hearing it, but the Republican color is not red, it's blue. Tim Russert flipped it on election night in 2000. If you look at all the other British Commonwealth countries, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the conservative party color is blue, and that's where the Republican got Republican Party got its color, and the Labor Party is red. That's where the Democrat Party color came from. But Tim Russert flipped him because he didn't want people to associate the Democrats with communism. We had phrases like better dead than red and commie pinko, meaning you weren't a full-blown communist, but you were a sympathizer and, and your weakness opened the door for communism. And Russert wanted to end that. And why is that? Because today's Democrat Party, five years ago, I dubbed them the Commiecrats, and I took the Democrat jackass logo and I superimposed the flag of China on it. And that's where we are. And the Republican Party, instead of pushing back and saying, no, actually, our color isn't red, our color is blue, and here's why, they said, oh, okay, and they meekly go along. They're a bunch of weak-kneed, spineless jellyfish, mouth-breathing milk toasts. And it's just nice to see a Republican like Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, show a little, show a little spunk, show a little spine. Yeah, we need to get over this soft mentality where, you know, also the media tells us what we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to react. You right. know, these are really extreme times for our country and we need to speak up. We need to be uh, forceful uh, with the way we talk and for the values we stand up for. And look, just like you talk about the left kind of bastardizing every story, every color, every 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 narrative, um, you know, it's like the race narrative. The Demo There was no big switch. I have a chapter in my book about this, the big switch, yeah. the myth of the big switch. No, they did not ever become the champions of blacks in this country. They've always been the greatest threat to blacks, and they still are with a, their welfare programs and schools and everything else. And the Republicans, it's unfortunate. What I'm scared of is if Republicans don't start to listen to their base and uh, actually grow a pair, people are going to stop voting for them. And we're not going to have any political instrument to represent us anymore. And a third party right now, as much as I love the idea, uh, it's a losing strategy right now to try and rebuild a party amidst the Democrats. You know, and, and it's a shame, too, because the Republican Party has a great history. Republican Party has a fantastic history, although it's never been a conservative party. I always correct people when they they call weak Republicans like Mitt Romney rhinos. It's like, no, he's not a rhino. He's an actual honest to goodness Republican. He's not a Republican in name only. Uh, it's the Barry Goldwaters. It's the Ronald Reagans. It's the Donald Trumps that are the outliers. Uh, but we need to make this into an America first party. And ironically, you know, sometimes all you have to do is let let uh, the left just keep doing what they want to do and they'll so badly overstep the mark that they'll end up proving your point for you and you end up winning in the end kind of by jujitsuing them right you use their momentum against them black males now support donald trump 53 to 47 percent since when since the mugshot was publicized now it's like you want to go ahead and indict the man for something that isn't even a crime go ahead we're going to win politically. Yeah, that's a shift that's finally taking place. And we need to be supporting Trump. We need to embrace what he's doing that works, not attacking him and recoiling and turning that party back over to the, you know, jellyfish. And, you know, this has always been going on when Reagan was was president, the establishment, if you will, they were already saying, 
we can't wait for Reagan to be gone because there's going to be no natural place for you conservatives after Reagan. You know, they've always been at war with us and we cannot we cannot give this party back over to them. You know, I mean, the, after Trump's gone, this movement will still exist. And I would argue the movement back in Trump right now is the same one that backed Reagan. We're silent until a leader comes along who can actually coalesce the movement. And it doesn't happen very often. And coalesce it by articulating what the principles are. Every single time Republicans stand up and articulate Republican principles, they win. Every time they try to be kinder and gentler Democrats, they lose. They've got to stop accepting the terms of the debate and start saying, as you said, no, this is what I believe and here's why. It's so important to do. We're going to talk about how you can do it after the break. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. Eat, drink, and be merry. Turns out the media was totally wrong about climate change and food production. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Food crops are booming despite the alleged climate emergency. The United States sees the biggest corn harvest ever. Bloomberg News reported so much for the summer of drought and extreme heat. Quote, this year's corn harvest was the biggest ever. Farmers now have corn coming out of their ears. But that's not all. Global yields of rice, wheat, and corn have surged by a whopping 50% in the last 30 years as carbon dioxide has risen. Planet Earth is truly greening. As deserts shrink, even NASA has acknowledged the greening of planet Earth. The lesson here? The only thing we have to fear is not climate change, but climate policy. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection. Want to get out of here? To empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together. Political neutrality. Not with Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Drew, a couple things you said cut a little bit close to the bone and made me cringe, but it, it, there's nothing to do except admit them and try to change them. I, too, am Christian. I'm Roman Catholic, and it, it pains me to hear you talking about having gone to a Jesuit school, left wing. It never used to be that way. We used to talk about a muscular Catholicism. We used to stand for things. And then in the 1930s, the Catholic Church was infiltrated by communists, and so uh brilliantly elucidated by Dr. Taylor Marshall uh, down in Texas. And it crept down even into the Society of Jesus. And now, you know, when people think Jesuit, they think the the Berger brothers. They think left-wing politics. They think liberation theology. And unfortunately, they think Bergoglio. You know, I call him Frankie Two Fingers because he's flipping off we traditional Catholics with both hands. It's He's, he's actively promoting heresy, and it, it's deeply painful. It's also painful to have putative Catholics like Nancy Pelosi and the inveterate racist Joe Biden. I was alive when Joe ran for Senate and won in 1973. I was 11 years old, and I was working that campaign 
for a, a local candidate. And so I was following the national election with Richard Nixon. I was following the state uh, Senate elections. And I followed Joe his entire career. He's the father of the 1994 crime bill that put an unbelievable percentage of black males in prison for selling marijuana, which now, you know, he says he's in favor of it being legal. Well, then why, Joe, did you put so many black men in prison for it? Uh, but to have these men associated with Catholicism and, and women, Nancy Pelosi, is painful. But we, we have to call out the failings wherever we see them. It's just so hard now because the game is literally rigged against us. In California and also in Louisiana, you've got the jungle primary where all parties are mixed together in one primary and the top two winners, the top two finishers go to the runoff if there's a runoff. Or luckily in Louisiana, we had uh, Jeff Landry get 52% of the vote. So there's no runoff. He's just the governor. Why do we even have parties if we have jungle primaries? Yeah, well, I mean, th there's no sense to it. I mean, it's nonsensical. And, you know, they like it this way. They'll they'll kind of manipulate the uh, system any way they can. I mean, this is the thing, too, about Democrats, right? They play to win, period. Yeah, you know, they I admire them for it. Me, 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 too. I'm actually envious of it. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I was thinking about something. You're talking about the church and American men as, as well. You know, we've all been emasculated. And growing up in church, it's amazing the way the text and the teaching has been twisted. And of course, mm -hmm. the left uses Christianity against us, just like Solinsky would say, you know, make them play by their own rules. Well, exactly. they've actually invented fake rules to constrain the Christian, and they use that to keep us from being effective in this country. You know, tolerance. Uh, tolerance does not mean, you know, they'll bring up Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't say, uh, you do you to the prostitute. You want right. to, you want to go and you, you do it. You do it. I don't, I, in fact, his message was you can only get to heaven through me. Otherwise you're going somewhere else. Um, I, I seem to recall an incident in the table with a table and, and some money changers in the temple. Uh, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, <laughs> tipping over tables and whipping people isn't out of the question. Yes. And you know, it's, it's, it's like anger is some emotion you're not supposed to have in society if you're a Christian or a uh, conservative. If you're if you're a Democrat, you you take that rage and burn down buildings for fake social justice. But if you're us, you can't get mad, you can't speak out, you can't condemn anything. And this is the problem: we need to be condemning things, and it's actually out of love. Um, but you know. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that I'm sick of that I, I was I forget why I was going to say it, but it came up earlier in my head. Something you said, we're watching something so pathetic about the Republican Party now. And that's what with Speaker Johnson uh, going along again with kind of the age old. We want to avoid a government shutdown because you're going to blame us. And so we'll do anything we can to avoid it. And. Republicans keep trying this every single time. They know they're going to get blamed, but they refuse to change tactics. I don't know why it's so difficult for Speaker Johnson and the Republicans to stand there and remind people that the government shut us down in California for over a year and right. they didn't bat an eye. They didn't have any compassion. They didn't care. They took away our paychecks. They took away our jobs. They took away people's homes over this. They destroyed our livelihoods, destroyed our children. No problem. But, oh, we can't shut the government down. We just can't do it. We are safer right now with a government that's not working, with a government that's shut I down. I love the government the shutdowns. People. 
there's no tax there's no tax increases there's no war started there's government shutdowns are great the problem is and you're exactly right I I do think though I'm willing to give Mike Johnson a little bit of grace he came out hard against a you know soy boy on CNN it was yesterday or today I saw the clip today when the guy tried to see this is what happens the the Dem Democrats make the Republicans play by the Marquis of Queensbury rules. And the Republicans say, okay, we're going to play by the Marquis of Queensbury rules, not realizing that they're in a street fight, right? And the Democrats have a chain in one hand and a baseball bat with barbed wire wrapped around it in the other hand. And here, here are the uh, Republicans putting up their dukes like the Notre Dame leprechaun, the fighting Irish with his, with his dukes put up. Uh, it's pathetic. Mike Johnson came out, though, in a very gentle and calm and erudite way, said, no, separation of church and state isn't anything that's that's real. It came from a, a private letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote after he was president. And it's exactly the opposite of what the First Amendment calls for. The First Amendment uh, freedom of religion and free exercise clause were designed to protect the church from government influence, not to protect government from religious influence. In fact, Washington said that religion and morality are are two of the foundations upon which good government rests. And Adams went even further saying that our constitution is designed for a moral and religious people. It is wholly unsuited to the government of any other. So I think when Republicans push back, they win. And at MAGA Institute, my partner, Brooke McGowan and I say, now is not the time to throw up your hands in frustration. Now is the time to roll up your sleeves and get to work. That's right. It's time to become, you know, Lincoln talked about our temple of liberty and us being the pillars of liberty. And over time, the memories of those who came before us fade uh, under, you know, it's it's inevitable. And so we have to be those pillars of liberty, liberty today. We have to replace what came before us and look to them, of course, for uh, for strength. And I, I don't know, to me, it's it's encouraging because I love our nation's history and story. And we are a part of that. And patriotism is the fabric of this nation. And it's in our DNA. Racism may be in the Democrat Party's DNA still, but it's not in our DNA. But patriotism is. And, you know, this country has survived because of, of that and because of patriots. And we get to be that now. We get to be because, look, this is going to happen again down the road. Same thing with, with Lincoln. You know, you think that the Constitution prevents the Napoleons and Caesars from springing up amongst us? No, it doesn't. And so they're here right now and we've got to deal with it. I'm sorry it's happening now, but it's our turn. But there's tremendous opportunity in what's happening now. And you're doing a great job on the Drew Allen show, articulating conservative principles and motivating people. I do it here with, I try to use humor to break through. I asked you, you know, how do you break through? I try to break through with humor. Although it, sometimes it's tough. I was up in Burlington, Vermont last month. And I was taking an Uber to the airport and I was asking the guy about Burlington because I hadn't been there in 20 years and, you know, what's going on in town. And he said, well, in the last couple of years, we've developed a real homeless problem and a real drug problem. And I said, really, why is that? And he said, well, we've made it so attractive for the homeless. Well, if you're homeless here, we'll we'll get you housing and and we'll get your food and everything else. And we've made it attractive. So people, instead of going to Miami Beach or California, where you think they'd be, they, they come up here and they're getting they're taken care of. I said, OK. And he said, and the drugs come along with that. We defunded the police and the drug problem and the violence problem erupted. I said, okay, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you this question and I'm not asking it to be a jerk. I'm genuinely interested in the answer. Okay. And he said, yeah, sure. At what point I asked, 
will the social pain that you're uh, experiencing cause you to change your voting habits? Because he earlier in the conversation said he's a self-described liberal. And he said, never. And it's like, how do you even deal with that? On the one hand, you understand that there's a homeless problem. You understand that there's a drug and violence problem. You understand that it's because you're voting for it. You, you've gotten the government that you voted for, and yet it's still not enough to change your voting patterns. Well, yeah, th those are frustrating situations to be in. I mean, I think you did the right thing. And it's like, what do you do in there? You leave somebody with a thought. You're going to get out of the Uber. Hey, you did this to yourself. You realize that, right? All of this pain well, and suffering and complaining, it's because of your policies that you believe in. And he's got the Kool-Aid on auto ship, okay? He's got an IV drip of the Kool-Aid. I'm never going to change his mind. But hopefully by telling the story, Drew, I'll change maybe 10 or 15 or or, or 1,500 other minds. Who knows? It's the people in the middle. Look, most Americans don't care about politics. They used to say that political campaigns never heated up until Labor Day of the election year. Now they're starting two years in advance. People are worn out. They're tired of politics. They just want to be left alone. But if we can motivate them and make them see how important this is, you know, I said that the election of 2000 was the most important. And until that time, it was. And in 2008, I knew what Obama was going to do. I knew how important that election was in 2012, keeping him out for a second term. But I agree with you. I don't think there's been an election, maybe since 1860, that's as important as this one here. Absolutely. And people need to embrace that and accept that. And we also need to uh, believe that we still have the capacity to change the nation and move it in the direction that it needs to go to put it back on track. And and we do, but the way I see it, you know, I really hate what's happening with the fake GOP primary. Um, I mean, it's like watching uh, Colin Kaepernick stage a workout for himself, trying out for the right. NFL. You're not getting a job. It's filled. We know we know our nominee <laughs> is going to be Trump. So all this stuff happening, it's not even to be VP at this point because these guys have basically disqualified themselves from ever working for a Trump administration and probably right. from having a political future the way they're behaving. And, you know, it, it's not... 2016. It's not an, it's 2024 we're talking about. And we're wasting time by weakening our candidate and weakening our movement by not backing him. And we have a year to change people's minds, to persuade them so that even the most ballot stuffing that they want to do can't overcome uh, the tide of Americans that are ready to stand up for this country. And so that's what we have to do now. And slowly, quietly, we're racking up wins, right? We have now a Georgia county clerk under investigation for stuffing ballots they released the video there she is she's going to be facing criminal charges the all these ridiculous 14th amendment lawsuits that the left has been filing against trump trying to keep him off the ballot they've lost every single one trump has won every single one won another one today in michigan or maybe it was yesterday i saw i read about it today in Michigan, they've won in Minnesota, they've won in the other states where they've been brought and where there's been an adjudication so far. It's unbelievable. And the more that they indict him, the more popular he gets. People don't understand why that's so. And it's because I said it's because you're showing people who you are. And I originally called the Republican counter candidates, I call them. It was Vivek and the seven dwarves, right? Because I think Vivek is the only one there who might have a political future. And it was floated last week on the show. I was thinking he'd be a great commerce secretary. 
he's a technology guy, patent and trademark office is under the commerce uh, department. There's other things that need to be done with commerce. And it was floated last week, maybe have him as the head of the GOP. That might not be such a bad thing. Now, I'd love to see him as press secretary, too, because he is. Oh, yeah. Somebody said that. Yeah. He has an ability to communicate. And, you know, it's funny because Vivek is the one person that I'm the most unsure about in terms of actually who he is because of his background. But he's also the one that's doing the most good for the GOP because he's the most capable of of communicating kind of conservative principles uh, to people. And he goes on there and he pushes back and he's a charming person. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's. He and he's he's the only person up there that remains that's actually come out and talked about the historic uh, threat re- that is represented by the Democrat attacks um, on on Trump, and he'll defend Trump. DeSantis has lost me because he won't do it. You see, he for him it's a good thing if Donald Trump goes to jail because it's his only pathway to getting the yeah. nomination, and it's clear that he's put himself above the country despite what his influencers say when they lie and tell us that they're putting America first because only DeSantis can win a presidential election. After all, DeSantis has won a presidential election in the past, don't you know? Oh wait, no, he's won a gubernatorial race twice that Trump backed. So, I'm really tired of them playing with the history of them dumping on Trump like they're doing. Trump's not perfect. He's made mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. I mean, for goodness sakes, you can look back retrospectively and you can blame Reagan for Hezbollah because when they bombed our Marine barracks, instead of going in and spilling their blood, we pulled out. So, you know, sure. And then we funded Osama bin Laden in uh, Afghanistan with the Mujahideen. So, yes, you're right. Exactly. So it's time to just, uh, you know, I can't wait. You know, all these people are just hanging on till Iowa. Their money, they're they're going to stay in it as long as they have money, and so that's why you see, you know, Kim Reynolds, you know, who nobody had heard of until she endorsed uh, DeSantis. I mean, they're putting all their money on Iowa because they know if they if they lose yeah. Iowa, it's over. Well, DeSantis is staying in because his political career is not over. He can't get elected dog catcher in Florida now after what he's done, and his Senate hopes. You know, he had ambition to be United States Senator from Florida. I think he's got to go find a real job. And, uh, you know, go practice law or something like that, because I don't see him getting elected in Florida ever again. The book is America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? My guest has been Drew Thomas Allen. You can get the book on Amazon. Go to drewallen.substack.com for his great Substack. Look for the Drew Allen Show on podcast platforms. Drew, I want to thank you for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Been a great conversation. That's it for tonight's Reckoning. Stay tuned on TNT Radio for the Havorier Moritz Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight. 